and welcome back to a very special episode of What The Fork podcast. Today's guest needs very little introduction. I'm delighted to welcome Chelsea legend and former Sunderland manager Gus Poyet to discuss his entire time in charge of Sunderland Association Football Club. But firstly, how are you Gus? Are you all right? Very good, thanks. Everything all right? Coping with this situation, but, but no problems at all, luckily. For those who don't know, since you left Bordeaux, what have you been up to? Well, to be honest, I, uh, I was trying to get um, the possibility to come back to coaching, but uh, with a, a different approach, which has been difficult. My idea was to try not to look for a team or for a name, you know, like a, or the biggest club in the world. I, I was looking for the people yeah. who are going to work with, obviously at the best level, if possible, but it wasn't something like, uh, oh, it has to be this level or I don't work. So I, I was trying to look for the chairman or the CEO or, or that person are going to be working daily, which understand who I am, what I do, and what we can do together, nothing else. As it is, you know, there's loads of stuff we could talk about about your professional <laughs> career as a player, but we won't mention that goal you scored against us uh, back in October 1999. <laughs> it's, the only, it's the only goal everybody remembers. Unbelievable. It oh, looks I, like I never scored before or after that. I, I forgot all about it. I can't remember what okay. happened. Okay, <laughs> No worries. No, we don't talk about that. But we'll rewind back to, I think, October 2013. So, <laughs> Sunland sit bottom of the league. Paolo Di Canio is sacked. For all want of a better word, the club is a little bit of a mess. And Gus Poyet walks into the door. When you walk in, what's the club like? What state is it in? Well, first I have to say, um, uh, you know, it, it was for me personally an easy decision because uh, I, I knew that my my op- my possibility of the Premier League it would be in a club that probably was not in the best shape. And so it was it was a risk. I have to say that many many people, unfortunately, they were wrong, but they told me. It's too big the risk, don't take it. If you take that risk and it doesn't work, you finish, blah, blah, blah. blah. All that negativity that normally there is in, in life nowadays. But um, obviously I knew that it was a, a big risk. And, uh, and, but I, I was convinced in certain things, you know, yeah. that uh, sooner or later I will be with a group of players. I don't know how big, but that they will be convinced in what we do. And if I was able to find those 15 players, okay, the most important, the 11, that they were starting, but around 15, 16, uh, we will have a chance to do something different. Uh, uh, I didn't know if it would be enough, that's for sure. But I, I was convinced because of my previous four years at Brighton, okay? Uh, Funny enough, I was going, thinking on playing incredible football that was able to, to play with Brighton, which it was not possible at, at that level. But, uh, but I had that convincement. The problem was after one week at Sunderland. Uh, and this is funny. Um, I, I started a Tuesday international week, October. And a week after, I was worried because uh, it was so many things going on at the club. So many uh, things that they, they are difficult for people outside a football club to understand. And maybe now after watching Sunderland until I die, maybe they had a better idea. <laughs> uh, but it, it was something deeper and, 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 and it was tough. Um, and for example, uh, uh, that happened in the first game. 
because that might <laughs> my my welcome to the premiership you know like uh, for 45 minutes the team is in shape is organized there is something that is going on and then the second half oh my god you know everything goes away as as fancy so uh, it, it was a it was a big shock yes I think one of the first big decisions that you made, Philip Bardsley had been completely moved out and they didn't get on him and Paolo. Um, but one of the decisions you made was to bring him straight back into the fold, not just into the squad, straight into the team. So what was it that he did that made you decide, you know what, he's not going to be in the reserve team. He's going to be part of my first team. Well, we, we started checking everything. You know, when you go to a new club, uh, obviously you start to find out, you may, you know, ask questions, uh, I want you to know why uh, him and, and I think it was Lee Catamon as well a little bit sure. a little bit away from the club away from the first team uh, checking on the new players checking infinite levels yeah. okay and we done a little bit of research I, I, I thought that the, uh, we were in a situation so bad that uh, I couldn't uh, take the, um, the risk of leaving anyone out without having a problem with me personally yeah. You know, uh, uh, so I, I I thought, okay, listen, this is a start from really zero. But when I mean zero, zero. Uh, and I, I, I want everybody to show me, you know, which ones they are here to try to find a way of the famous miracle after. Uh, and which ones they deserve to be away from the, from the first team or from the club. So when we get to January, I'm going to be the one telling you, you have to go. And to be honest, uh, I mean, Phil came into the team in an incredible way. I mean, it was like uh, the first one putting a tackle, the first one showing how much he cared, the first one uh, worried about the situation. And, and it was difficult for me to understand uh, why. Um, I, I think the, the good thing about football is not right or wrong. You can be very uh, apart from the players and it can be wrong in that particular situation. Or you can be very, very close to the players and it can be wrong as well because you need to have certain distance. I, I, I got a way of working, okay? I understand or I believe that I depend on the players. I'm strong with them when I have to be. I'm, I say the truth and sometimes, sometimes they don't like it. Uh, I, I, you know, like I, I, I try to put them in a situation where they have no excuses. That's one of the main things in my job. I don't want any player to go on the pitch trying to have a little excuse, you know, to get away with a, with a result. Yeah. Any, eh? I'm talking about the pitch of the training ground, the traveling, the food, the, the shorts, the kit, anything. So they cannot come to the region and say, yeah, uh, because, no, because of nothing. Everything was in a, in, a, in a standard where you were in the best position to go and perform. And if you didn't, it's because of you. It's not because of no, nothing else. And I think, you know, the players, they understand that. And they embrace that to a certain point. So I wanted to give everyone the same possibility of proving me uh, what they, they were able to do. And, and I think they they done it very well. In terms of, we talked touching that Swansea game, and it was, yeah, I think everyone realized at that point. I think a lot of people thought, there's nothing yes. we can do here. But the week later, and one of, one of my favorite days as a Sunderland fan, um, <laughs> you have a wonderful, wonderful record against Newcastle as a player and as a manager. Mm-hmm. And your first derby win was 
a fantastic day and the first win of the season and it really gave us that kick up the backside. But what are your memories of, of that day? Well, um, you know, sometimes we, we, we can make a book uh, and sometimes there are things that they are, they are not possible to say because it's, they happen inside the dressing room and things like that. But um, I, I, I think it was key for, my, uh, for everybody at Sunderland that my second game or my first game at home it was Newcastle. I got no doubt. I know that people will think the other way. It was a big race. It was a massive. If you lose that, you were out, probably <laughs> sucked. But um, I, I think even even for the players, it was an important moment. So uh, we trained well after the, the Swansea game. Uh, it was a tension, much more than the two previous weeks, because my first two weeks, they were all about trying to put um, the basics of a football team on the pitch. The basic, how you defend, how you stay in shape, how you attack, how important is the ball. The, the basic, the minimal things, so many little things that I needed to have at least to have a chance to win a football game. And, and after the Swansea game, I think that we, we keep reinforcing those basics, but with the tension, that game, no? Yeah. The biggest game of the season. And, and we train a few things, uh, and the players, they embrace it, uh, I mean, the, the, the first goal, even if it doesn't look like, it was something that we, we, we trained, you know, to, to make a movement in, in, that, in that corner to take certain players away from, from the defending area. But obviously, you need something to happen. Something. Yeah. And, and this particular case was Fabio Borini. You know, uh, we made a decision to put him on, he goes on and he delivers. Uh, and that changed his season as well, Fabio's. Because he was there but no and then from that moment on he become an, an important part of the football of the team because of my way of understanding football and how I wanted to play and be organized and I needed a striker with goal but who was able to play wide and help me to defend as well and just in 20 minutes or I don't know how long he played he showed me exactly that and, yeah. uh, and then we started making the shape of the team but what they uh, imagine, I mean, uh, I got the image of going to to shake hands with Alan Pardew and want you to stay there, you know, like I want you to stay there forever and then realize, leave the players and I woke up. So it was like a, a few seconds of celebration and the realization, okay, leave it to the players, you know, and, and get, yeah. in, get into my room, get into my, the manager room that little room uh, next to the to the dressing room of the players here we started and I tell you the following game is even bigger I'm not thinking in terms of results because it's Newcastle sure but pe- people doesn't and doesn't know how important the whole game the one that we lost one nil with two players and off playing the second half with nine against Hull yes okay I, I tell you now because that's important for so I lose my first game for nil. We still one point from eight games. We beat Newcastle at home. You have to. Yeah, it's not the way. And then we go to Hull. Okay? And when we go to Hull, we consider an own goal. Okay? Uh, yeah. We get the, the first ending off. And I think then is the goalkeeper uh, that gets injured. Um, oh, yeah. Westwood got injured. Westwood? Yeah. And then just before the last, the last minute of the first half, uh, Dosen, uh, Andrea Dosen gets sent off as well. 
So then we go to the dressing room. I made one change already, the keeper. We're down to nine. We're bottom of the league. And uh, we need to play 45 minutes, which they can be very damaging. I mean, I mean it, okay? It could be, uh, you know, the end of the year. We made a strong decision in something that we work on, not playing with nine, but the way that we wanted to defend. I made the two changes, and we're going to the second half without changes, okay? So we get an injury, we get down to eight. To play in a second half that we were defensively outstanding. Yeah. And we had one chance with Adam Johnson to score the equalizing the 80 something. And that reinforced massively the idea of what we needed to do defensively for the rest of the year. Then the other side of the of the game will come out. But you need to start from a strength. So we tried a midweek with different players against Southampton, and then it's coming the second game at home against Man City, champions that year. So <laughs> we, we made four points against the champions, which is crazy. Um, and it started showing that we were able to defend, but at the same time, we had to start working in certain things offensively. So, yes, Newcastle massively. But for me, the, the, the organization defensive side of the game is, is confirmed against Holtzit. We talked about, obviously, the dressing room that you walked into, but I feel like, you know, under your guidance, and I think a lot of people, Sunderland fans especially, feel this way, you also really started to implement a style of play, which I don't think we'd seen for a long, long time. Um, how do you go from managing such a demoralized dressing room into one that plays attractive football and is confident in it and, and could win games as well. Obviously, he was talked about like defensively, but you know we started winning games as well. We went on a really good run after that up until the end of January. We we played superbly yeah, before the final. Before the final, uh, <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, that it's, inc- it's incredible. I, I was all the way on the cup run, saying that the cup was bringing some um, togetherness in the dressing room mm-hmm. because you know my my first cup game is Southampton. Okay, we use it as a training kind of situation because yeah. at that time the cup was not even in my mind. Then uh, is coming uh, Chelsea, which for people to remember, because that's another thing that I, I would like to talk to you because it happened to me after with the, with the other cup that they killed me because they said I throw it away. Uh, the game against Chelsea, I don't play Key and, and Fabio Borini. And we started with a different team because even if it was quarterfinal, we were in a so bad shape in the league that it would be crazy to put so much effort in a, in a game and then the weekend losing 4-0 because of the effort of midweek. The problem is we may be organized with an idea and depending on how the game was going, I will use these players yeah. to try to win it. And that happened. No, we used them at the end, we equalized, and then we went on to win it. Then it's different. Then you're in semifinal. Then you have to be a really idiot not to use the full squad in a semi-final of football. And being Manchester United, obviously more. Uh, but until the second leg, which is, what a day, a Manchester, uh, our travel, I think the cup helped us a lot. Incredibly, yeah. as soon as we qualify for the final, <laughs> something happened, like I said, every day. 
No one wants to miss that final. Everybody, I don't know if the fans wanted to be more than on the players. You know, it was like, a, <laughs> um, but like I said, it was it was a process, and that and that process needs to be confirmed in games. Yeah, I don't know if you get me. Yeah, I'm I do. Training, yeah. I'm training every day. I'm training. I'm putting things in your head. You start getting it, and then you go to a game and it doesn't work. And in your mind, as a player, you go, mm, mm-hmm. no. But when you go and you win and you start enjoying because um, I know that the second half against Manchester City is only four weeks into my job. Second half, it was tough. We defended like madmen. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember, the, I remember the first 20 minutes or 25 minutes that we were playing proper. Yeah. It was only four weeks into the thing. So if you, if you keep reinforcing that with results, which is the most difficult part, the players, they bite into it. My relationship football ways, not personal ways, because I'm not in touch with Lee Catamon nowadays. I'm not sending a message or nothing. So it wasn't personal, like uh, we become friends. No. But professional ways, football ways, my relation with Lee Catamon was exceptional. The way he started embracing a new way for him of playing football, it brings something into the team that is the best. Because now you go a player with certain characteristics, with an aggressivity and with a in, in a in a position on the pitch, which understanding and embracing a way of playing football, that if you take it into every game, you know you got something different on the pitch week in week out. Uh, so it was a process, and the results, especially in the cup, help us to get there. Why it didn't work the second year? And I'm sorry to go too far ahead. You need certain things to to maintain for you to grow up. And, and if you look from the main team, yeah, <clears throat> you can go into the second season and there is key players that they are gone. Yeah. Uh, and it's like a, a restart. Now you need to convince new players. And these new players, they take time. And depending on the results that they were not getting very often, it, it doesn't work. And then you start again. And that's the worst thing that can happen to a football club. Even when things don't work well, if you keep restarting, like Sandra has been doing for, I don't know how many years. Too long. Uh, yes. There is no way that you're going to impose something, whatever you like, passing football, possession football, direct football, second ball football, aggressive, high pressing, whatever you like in football. If you don't maintain it for a certain period of time with the key players inside the, the pitch for a long time, you've got no chance. And that's the biggest difference with me from Brighton. In Brighton, me in October and November, I knew what I needed to bring in January, one player. And I would talk to the club and say, we need this characteristic and we will search for that player. But rest, we stay there. You know, don't, don't lose four players that they are very important for you the following year. If not, you're going to start from zero again. So we were gradually getting better and better and better. You can lose one. The club needs to sell, but you are prepared to replace them. But in the second year, Phil Barsley is not there. Uh, you know, uh, we, we started with a different left back. Marco Alonso is not there. Fabio Borini is not there. Key is not there. You know, we, we changed in the way of playing. For yeah. my way of playing 4-3-3, we needed certain players up front that they would perform week in, week out. We needed certain speed. I, I mean, we, we, we brought Buckley for 1.75 or whatever it was from Brighton. And the first game I played Mon against Man United, it was so good 
that we didn't stop giving him the ball every minute. Like the team was saying, give it to him, give it to him. I said, no, you cannot play football like that. You're going to be yeah. too easy to defend against us. And, and those kind of situations, it was like, uh, it was tough for me to make the club understand yeah. what was needed to keep growing. But I tell you it's possible. I, I, I would say to you, if we were clever enough and open-minded to understand why I wanted that, I'm not saying that Sandra will be playing at the highest level, but at least you will have a, an identity, a way of playing football that people will embrace. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, when you explain it in the way that you have, and sometimes as a fan, you don't look at it like that. But I've got to be honest, sometimes you don't. You look at it in different ways and, and you put blame on all sorts of different things. And the blame can change on a weekly basis because you're yes. so emotionally involved with it. But there was so many players that we lost, but um, you talked about Lee Catamull and I asked him a straightforward question, is the best football you've played under Gus Poyer? And he openly, he said, yeah, I think so. Uh, he said, I think it's a, the best that I've, I've ever played. And I think with, with Lee, he was a defensive midfielder, but his form under you had a lot of people saying you should play for England. With someone like Lee Catamull, who's from the age of 16 to, I think he would have been 26, 27 at that point, has played a certain way of playing, was aggressive, he chases. And how do you get someone who's got such a big character to buy into that? Because you mentioned about the results and things like that, but how do you get them to listen to that at the beginning? Well, first and most, it depends on him, okay? I I have to do my job, but if if he doesn't want to, or if he doesn't like it, or if he doesn't bite, or cannot do it, you've got no chance. So... First, the praise to, to the player, to Lee Cardamo. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to say this to you if Lee, Lee didn't say himself, okay? Yeah. Uh, and, and I saw an interview of Lee Cardamo maybe a year ago, just when he went to Holland. I don't remember when it was, where he explained why he started enjoying this football anymore. I think, I think we give him a role and a responsibility and the reasons why yeah. uh, he started doing it and he started taking uh, uh, that role into his character of responsibility of how important it was and, and embrace it to a way where he was delighted. I'm telling you because I had this conversation with him. You know, he came to see me and we talk about it. And he was like saying, uh, you know, like, uh, now, now I'm going to the games thinking, okay, I'm going to do this, this, this. I'm going to enjoy doing the ugly side, people think, you know, because it was Lee Catamon. And, uh, and it was a, a big turning point for us. As a coach, that, that's why you search. And it doesn't work with every single player. Never. It's impossible. But when you start getting, like I said to you, this football relation with someone of, of that character, uh, it's a plus for, for yeah. the team. And... I think what Lee was was having is, is a similar frustration that I was having. You know, that as soon as you put something into a level, that it looks like, okay, here we go. The next year, everybody disappears and you start from zero again. And I'm sure that three managers later, uh, or, or maybe two managers later, it doesn't matter who they are. Eh? I'm not talking about specifically the managers because they got a different way of looking at football. Everything that we were getting with him he went away and probably yeah. was not in a position to do or enjoy the game the, the same way that with us. Um, but I, I think that's the basic of a manager. You know, you've got a football yeah. player, football player. You've got certain qualities, okay? 
they are good at something. So you need to make sure that you put a player in a position where he can do that at his best level. Now, when you start asking, I don't know, uh, Will Buckley, who was a right wing, quick, fast, right footer, and you're putting left back to defend, uh, no, that is when you're crazy and when it doesn't work. I mean, it's going against the rules of football. But the player needs to understand why you're doing that. And our relationship, the way that we work with the players, I think he brought that, that from Likatan. Talking about style of play and players buying into sort of your style and what you wanted to implement, for me, probably the best performance that we put in and one of the most memorable under your spell was the 3-0 win at Newcastle. Not just because it was Newcastle. Hmm. That was great. That was, it was, I'm pleased we did it that day because I was in the away end and I had a good night. Um, but obviously Fabio scored the penalty with 2-0 up and really, really quick. Um, but there was something about that game where it felt like that was the way you always intended us to play 100% in terms of first minute to last minute. But what was it? What was that game exactly as you dreamt in your head the way the team should play and the performance that they put in? Was that what you were always wanting to have? Yes, and I tell you why because um, that, that's already January, I think, no, or something. Yeah, 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 January. Um, yeah, um, we we were in that in that run of the cup that we are in semifinals, and the team is getting shape, and and Marcos Alonso uh, is already in. I don't know if he played that game. I think he did play. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. This is in the celebration of the penalty. So we started having certain characteristics already in certain positions. Um, and, and, uh, and like I said to you, now, now the players, they got a role in a position on the pitch where they can do what they do best. Uh, example, we got Adam Johnson on the right, coming into his left foot, he wants to play there, with uh, Phil Bansley going forward like crazy, and that creates the first penalty because they understand each other, they know each other, they are friends, friends. Yeah. Um, then you go a main striker that, okay, he didn't score goals, but in that particular game was probably the best game that Josie Altidore played for us. Yeah, I uh, agree. We got Fabio Borin on the left, which, like I said to you in the beginning, is, is, is doing a role. He's a striker playing wide, but working hard. Uh, Marcos Alonso, who, because of um, uh, Fabio wanted to come inside as a striker into his right foot, you got a player who's going to go forward and give you a width with that left foot. So we started having in shape. Uh, to be honest, I don't remember, but I, I probably think that Lee Cattermore played with uh, Jack Colback and Arsene Lavos or Promo. No, it was, it was, um, okay. it was actually Liam Britt could keep Liam, Colback. Uh, that's the first game I played Liam First Britt. game. That is another point for Lee to be better, Lee Cattermore. And i tell you why. Because Lee, Lee Ambrika was my main player, central midfielder at Brighton. And he knew the role better than anyone. So even if uh, in terms of uh, standards, we didn't know if Liam was, would be able to play in the Premiership week in, week out, we knew that he knew the role better than anyone. So bringing him to the club and playing in a certain important game and doing what he done on that day, putting everybody in place and telling what to do and think, may lead to see it live in there with us on the bench, okay? Uh, and, and that 
um, you know, makes people, uh, I don't know if he was in the bench, but what I mean is seeing directly inside the, the, the team that he was playing week in, week out. Uh, and, and that brings things that even if you tell the players or, you know, uh, we say in football, you learn in different ways. You learn training, you learn seeing it in somebody else in a video or seeing yourself in a video or some people like it in the, in the flip chart, you know, when you move the, the pieces. There is different way of, of learning and all of them learn in the same way. And Lee was getting to a point where he was getting better and seeing that performance of Lee and Brickard, it was like saying to him, I can do that. It was something that he was missing from his game. Um, but like I said, we had in every position the player doing his job, you know, and his role and his, his ability. And that's when this team started working. And that's when one player came out, the American, and he cut him goes in, and the, play, the team keep performing. Or Sel Larson is out and he's key, or Jack Kolbach is out and he's Sel Larson, and the team can perform. Because now you go responsibilities in positions. The players are playing in their positions, and Jack Kolbach, you know, when I go there, he was playing left back. Yeah. Okay. I call him and I say, sorry, you're a midfielder. Yeah, why are you playing left back? Well, the player, they say, no, you want to play midfielder. See you later. One day that we need a left back for an incredible reason, fair enough. We had like 150,000 players in the club, yeah? Uh, but we didn't have a speed, and we did well, whatever. Um, so the situation was to say, okay, try to play in your position because that's the best you can do. And, and that game in particular, Shaq Colbert gave us something uh, totally different. Uh, so those kind of situations were, were easy. Probably, again, yes, it was one of my best games, the most enjoyable one, no doubt. But again, the most important is the players, that they realize that they can do it. Talking about that game in particular, and I wasn't going to ask this, but you've you've just reminded me of how good Josie Altador was that day. And I think it would be fair to say, without being too unkind, he, he didn't really succeed at Sunderland. Um, no, I think I think the problem with Josie was um, Josie had a bad spell, and then he went away and he went a bad spell in England, I mean, and in, in, in other countries, and then in Holland always was going well for him, and then he came back, and I was a little bit under pressure. Um, I, I think for the way we played, Jesse was a powerful striker. He needed to play in a certain way that, for example, we were probably not playing. You know, uh, for our system, it was probably a bit better Fletcher uh, yeah. because of the possibility of uh, holding the ball and, and, the, and how good in the air, that more than the powerful player that he needed to run into spaces. Um, but like I said, you know, you got an idea and, and that day everything working well, apart from that 1v1, I think he had the chance yeah. to score and he didn't. Uh, it didn't work. The, 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 you know, the most difficult part for me with Josie Altido, and people probably won't remember, I left them out of the squad in the final. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest decisions I made in my career, uh, you will never know if it was right or wrong because we lost, uh, but I made a change that, during the game worker that was to play Fabio Borina front for the first time in his own for a reason. The reason was why he scored and nearly scored the second uh, and being uh, solid in midfield with an extra midfielder. So um, it was a, um, a, a big, big decision, but I think Josie didn't like it. He was obviously very disappointed, but I think with the time he understood why mm-hmm. watching the game, you know, 
what was needed. Uh, but uh, yes, I I think it was it was unfortunate his past in England. I think it was something I was missing. Yeah, talking about obviously we're going to get into the final very very soon. But as I we were talking off air and. I can't even think of how to describe that semi-final. Um, you know, I think back to it and I just, it's the one game and I'm sure I'm not the only one where when we scored, I don't remember what I did. I just remember where I ended up. Um, but I remember seeing your celebration when we scored and I think you're a very passionate and emotional man. You, you do wear your heart on the sleeve from what I've seen. But what were your memories of that entire day? Because it was just, it was, it was one, of, in terms of football, that was the best day of my life. Um, in terms of football, nothing will beat that. And I think a lot of people feel the same way, but you're approaching it in a very different way. You're, you're on the touchline and what happened happened and then something else happened and then penalties. And But how do you how do you remember that day yourself in your own mind? Well, we, we, we knew we would have a chance after winning the first leg. So we went in there just to play our game and, uh, and, and, and the team was doing all right. Of course, when you're 1-0, they start the tension, they start many, many things, the rules made of the extra time. Uh, it's funny because, yes, when, they score, when, when we score, you think it's over. So your emotions are, are very high and you're just waiting for the ball to go out and, and the game finish and then the ball was never going out and then it's coming the equalizer. Then when we went to the penalties and, and, and I think I'm going to explain and, and I, it's good, I can say this because he put the player in a good position. Normally when he put the player in a bad position I shouldn't say it. When we went to the penalties, uh, my assistant is being sent off. It doesn't, people doesn't know why but it's very simple. He will run all the way to the Sunderland then to celebrate the equalize from Phil Basley. And when he came back, the four officials sent him off. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking for something to write down. And he's normally the one who have everything and he's not there. And I'm thinking, what is Tano? <laughs> Tano is not there, you know? Um, I get the thing. And, and when we start talking about the penalties, um, quickly, uh, we go, okay, uh, Garner has to be the first, obviously. Yeah. Straight away, Adam Johnson asked me to be to be the fifth, and and people start asking to take to a point that I, I got five penalties, write it down, and key is not there. So I'm thinking, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, whoa, whoa. Key took a penalty last month at Everton. Yes, he's taking one. I said, it's the only thing I said. So now I needed to take one of the five out, and include what Phil Bansley. He wanted to take one. And I took him off because I put Craig Garner. Uh, Fletcher wanted to take the second, even if I didn't see him taking too many penalties. Marcos Alonso, I saw him taking free kicks and things, so I said, it's fair enough. Then it was Phil Barnsley and then Adam Johnson. So I said, Phil, you're not taking And Phil was not happy. <laughs> uh, but I, I thought it was common sense. I said, we got two penalties this year, you know, on, on, on Fabio Borini and, and Key. Fabio is not here. He's taking one. I mean, yeah. in my head, it's simple. So then I put him in, which is a good feeling for a manager because he was only one of the two who scored. Um, and and I, I tried to separate. I don't know if you saw me. I'm, I'm trying to separate from, from the group of players to was the penalties on my own because, you know, I went from being in the final to being on the penalties. So then Craig goes, and I tell you, Craig Arna, he will score. I don't want to exaggerate, but 
19 from 20? Yeah, he was brilliant. Fantastic penalty taker, Craig Gardner. Uh, One of the best I've seen in a red and white shirt. Brilliant penalty taker. Uh, and he missed. Okay, that happened in on football. Yeah. So when they miss, I've got no problem. Then when Fletcher goes and miss, and, and they score, I change my position and I go next to the fitness coach, Antonio Pinder. And I grab him like that. And I say to Antonio, oh my God, this is, <laughs> you know, like, this is man that we took doing with miss too. Uh, and I stayed there with him saying, who knows? And then Marcos scored, they missed, he scored. And then you go to Adam Johnson. And then you say, that's it. You know, it cannot be nothing worse. We went through everything. We scored in the last minute and they scored two minutes later. We missed two penalties and, and, and they missed four. And then you say, okay, that's it. We're going to go three. And then we miss as well. So it was like uh, saying, Destiny is against us or whatever. Yeah, it felt that way. Yeah. And then, uh, obviously, uh, Vito Manone saved the last one and, and we are in the final. It was, you, you don't imagine, it, it was a celebration it was very, very strange because there were so many up and downs during the last 10 minutes. Yeah. That it was kind of, you didn't know if it was relief or no, if it was celebration, but uh, uh, probably. Uh, one of my best celebrations away from home ever. Yeah. Mine too. Uh, as a coach, <laughs> you know, like, because normally away from home, can you take 1,000, 2,000, 3,000? Yeah. 4, I don't Nine? It doesn't happen. With that end, it doesn't happen. Old Trafford, <laughs> with the team near the bottom, I don't know if we were bottom at that time, or what. it doesn't happen. You know, like, I, I think the people were probably saying, you know, the reporters, can, can you really believe it that Sunderland is in the final? Because how how, how this in my football? But yeah. it was uh, it was even in the dressing room. It was it was a special. Who would have took the the sixth penalty if um, Rafael had scored? Phil, Phil. Phil. yeah, he would have scored. He would have been all right. Well, sure. after he scored up, <laughs> we were talking about his shot with everybody in the way back. You know, like it was too much spin on it. What happened? He was saying he was too strong. I said, shut. <laughs> Um, so obviously there was a few games before that, but I think, uh, and in fact, I think the Newcastle game was actually after that, but I remember everything about the, the following weeks was just Wembley, 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 Wembley. And yes. it was, for me, it was, it was the first time that I'd seen something at Wembley. I was, unfortunately, I was away on holiday in 1998 and I was too young in 1992. So yeah, I I just wanted to get there. Um, and I remember the whole day was just tremendous. I actually flew back from Germany, but there was so many people that came from so many different places. You had Martin Fulop, um, God rest his soul. He came and, you know, ex-players and Jordan Henderson was there. But um, how proud were you walking out as manager of Sunderland uh, Association Football Club that day and seeing well, the was, crowd? Everything surrounded the, the, the final was spectacular. Uh, absolutely everything. And... Uh, uh, I we didn't know until the last day that I, I was walking in front of the players, you know, because all the protocol and that's not what you do normally. So it's a no. new situation for the manager. You need to lead the team. Uh, uh, there is so many things that go, you know, with the, with that situation. Um, I, I think the, the main focus on me was okay. We got a plan. Uh, I need I need the players to, like I said to you many times during the interview, embrace it. I need to work. Uh, 
how can I define, even if we lost and it hurts badly, I met a guy, a Sunderland fan, two or three years ago in the underground in London. And the guy said to me, ah, oh, guys, how are you? I'm a Sunderland fan, blah, blah. And he said to me, you made me feel something, not me, the team, made yeah. me feel something in the final that I, I don't know if I will, I'm going to feel it again. And I said, uh, and I was thinking about what's wrong, when we go safe or, I don't know, beating Man United or, or Chelsea during that miraculous run. Uh, and he said, no, no, it's halftime at Wembley. And my reaction being me, you know me, it was, we lost. He said, no, 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 half time, I remember. I don't know if I'm going to be able to feel again how I felt I went there at half time. And for me, it was like, wow. Because me, at half time, I was in the dressing room trying to tell the players we were 45 minutes from whatever, glory. And I didn't have even the time to feel what probably you fans, you were feeling in the stand. So it was like a wake-up call in, in, in the underground here in London. And, and it made you think, you know, from the other side, you know, put yourself in the other side, outside the, the pitch and, and, and understand those feelings. And uh, I think it was, was a moment that it made me realize Yes, we lost, and it's still there. Uh, how important those moments are, no? Especially for for Sunderland fans. And wow, it was uh, it was uh, it was. I, I remember getting out of the train a, a little bit like a kind of a shock, and and trying to be in that position, which is impossible. And and the guy felt it, you know, which is magnificent. I know exactly what you mean. I'm, 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 I'm welling up here. I'm pleased we're not putting any video on. This is just audio because I'm welling up as we're speaking here. But I know what he means. And I think anyone listening to that will understand that half time you, you just believed. And sometimes with, sometimes with something you, you don't. Sometimes with something you don't because we've been knocked down a lot yeah. and still do. But that, that half time you kind of went, you looked at the scoreboard and you went, can wow. we? You know, like can well, especially we? With that, with that second chance, you know, I'm I'm being in a position where thinking he he scores that we win. I I say ah, I will say I that on my dying I go, day. I got no doubt. It was it was football, but it wasn't that. The the other thing it made you proud is if in the second half you collapse, that's who you are. But it took two unbelievable goals. Yeah, I mean, I mean it. I mean, I was behind uh, Yaya today when he hit it, and I'm thinking. Why today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why you need to do that today? Why not next week or the week before? And then the second one, it takes a little reflection and, 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 and it's a volley outside the foot that goes out of the goal to come into. I mean, it's from Nari, it's like, okay, that's what they are. That's what they are champions because they are in a, in a different level. But it took something really extraordinary for there to be that. And that football, and even if it hurts, you know, is the kind of saying, say, okay, you know, you know, we put our hands up and say, we have to take it. No, you're totally right with that because, you know, sometimes, and I was devastated and many of us were, but then also proud because it sort of felt like, take those two goals out of it. And of course, Manchester City were a very good, it's still a very good team and a, yeah. and a superb team then. But take those two goals out of it. We were so even. And if that chance near the end, if, 
a Fletcher shoots. Yeah, well, that, that's the situation. I, I watch it again uh, now in this quarantine. And oh, if I have, there is moments I'm thinking, sorry, fucking, huh? <laughs> we were there. You know, we were, we yeah. were there. The difference between the two teams, practically top to the bottom. And we were there. Uh, and that's something that, you know, even if what happened, which, like I said, it, it hurts, uh, it, it shows that we were creating something. Maybe that's why what happened later on in the season, it happens. So. Yeah, I think so too. That, that was key. Talking about, um, you know, after Wembley, and uh, yeah, there was, you know, we lost our way a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, it got to that, um, it got to that Tottenham game. That was, that was three days after my, my wedding that, and, uh, I was just like, oh, okay. So my wedding's over now, everything's downhill. <laughs> it wasn't that way, but thankfully, but, um, you know, the words came out of your mouth, which became synonymous. Um, <laughs> you said, look, we've, we've, I'm sure it was a Tottenham game. You said, really, you know, we lost, yes. we lost five, one, went one nil up. Harry Kane as a young boy scoring. Um, he said, you know, I think we need a miracle. And I think all the fans felt what you said 100%. And it was almost said almost like a, you knew how difficult the situation was. But as it was, you know, they those words became synonymous because the miracle happened. But what was it in sure. the aftermath of that game that turned it around? Well, there is two or three things. I, I think that um, I learned, like anyone, you're in a job where... Uh, from October to you know January February is incredible. The things that happening during those four months is it's impossible to resume. And then you get to the maximum point of a final, and then there is a you know one way and it's down and it's down and and you need to find a way to stop that. So it was very new for me, and I'm not afraid of saying it. I don't think there is a book that you can go and check. Okay, what to do after you have this season? And you lose a final and you don't know. It's, a, it's impossible. So um, little things started happening incredibly, you know, like uh, things started fixing themselves. I, I, I think the key moment is, there is two moments for me as a coach from inside. One is uh, uh, when I, the only time I've done this in my career, which is incredible. I should try more. Uh, we got problems making the team. We got some certain issues. Uh, it was back, Connor. Connor yeah. is coming back. Connor is there, but he's not playing. Eh? And it's the only time I call a player. The only time, eh? and I promise you, it's the only time I call a player and I say, "Okay, Connor, I know the situation we is, but you go in the next five games." I say, "Nothing to lose." I know it's rubbish what I'm telling you because the situation we are in, but you know, like. Uh, you're going to have the run of games that maybe you, you were asking me before because that's what he wanted to have because he never kind of kept going with, with Sunderland. It was always something Stop happening bringing back and that way he went on long. Um, and he goes to another level. Like you say, somehow he put us in another level. And, and the second thing that happened was that we went to Man City where they were champions again. Uh, after three minutes, we're losing one in. We are bottom, seven points from Salvation, playing away from home. Man City on Wednesdays, Chelsea on a Saturday. One nil down. Uh, it keeps keep playing, keep playing, keep playing. Um, we go to one up and then Chucho with that goal. That he went in nothing, 10 centimeters, okay, whatever. And, and it was okay. 
Okay, I, I wasn't mad because we drew, but I was feeling that how close we were from the three points and how important they were, and maybe that was a big chance that we were losing. Um, funny enough, uh, after the game, I'm, I'm losing it today. The goalkeeper, he was on the bench, the Argentinian boy. Oh, uh, Ostari? Ostari. Yeah. Um, came to me and he said to me something that uh, it was amazing. He said to me something like, uh, it was in Spanish, obviously. He said to me, uh, Mr. They call him, no, coach, don't be mad. Don't be mad with the players. Don't. Because they were unbelievable. And like I said to you, I wasn't mad. I was more like a, how close we were and maybe we lost the biggest chance of the decision because at that time, I didn't know that we would be Chelsea, Cardiff, blah, blah. Yeah. But that made me say, wow. And for, and for a player to have that thinking, oh, maybe the coach is, is mad, he's going to kill everybody in the dressing room, to go and, and, and put himself in front that, I would tell you, not many people would do. And so try to convince me to don't be mad at the players. I remember going into the dressing room at Man City and it's a big place for the players and, and a little bit in the side for the staff. And I went there and I talked to Tano and said, uh, wow, how close we were. He said, yeah, you know, like you're killing yourself. And I said, uh, Stadi told me this. He said, yeah, he's right. So I go in front of the players and I just say, unbelievable. I mean, that was unbelievable how close we were from doing something unique. You know, maybe they're going to be champions. And, and then they play they kind of, okay. I, I, and I'm sure that that after meeting, a little bit because of me, but mostly because of the study, set up the, the basics for what came after. Yeah. You know, I don't think the players left Manchester, the group of players thinking, that's it. No, it was a little bit of, why not? You know? Yeah. Why not? Obviously, you need a striker. And I think we have to give Conor Wickham the, the credit he deserves in that run, you know, because to score two at Manchester, one at Chelsea, <laughs> two, two at home against Cardiff, you know, especially the first one, it, it makes you think that you needed someone to step up and, and give you an incredible, you know, run of performance for you to be able to win. And it has to be key players, either your goalkeeper or either your, your main striker. Come the end of that sort of run, the day that we, we performed the great escape, um, West Brom at home, as it was. That was the biggest game for me. Eh? Yeah. Most, oh, absolutely. No, that, that was the, I wasn't nervous at Man City. I wasn't nervous at Chelsea. Cardiff, I knew we would beat them with our respect to Cardiff. Man United, we didn't beat them in I don't know how many years in the league. I thought, okay, but then we beat them. I, I, I thought we were safe that day. Yeah, Next day, Chelsea beat Norwich. We are over and Chelsea drew, drew with Norwich and we need to wait. And, and that game again was wrong. I was very, very nervous because my, my mind was, even if I didn't say to the players, obviously, it was after what we've done, we are not going to be away from, without respect to away from. I need to kill myself. I mean, it needs yeah. to be the, the, the worst <laughs> end of a season ever in history. Uh, and yes, when we beat them, it was like, I knew we would lose against Swansea. The truth, I knew it. Yeah, I knew it because of of what we talked before. I learned it after the final. The way down, drop. So after getting safe, it was no chance that we would perform against Swansea. 
uh, but yes, it was it was probably a day that not many people can can explain the feelings after that game against Wolfsburg. The big thing that I remember from it was at the end of the game, the whole stadium was like chanting your name until you kind of came out mm-hmm. and clapped people. But at that point, you'd, so much had happened, but you'd only been there seven months or so, six months. How much did that moment mean to you when, you know, 48,000 Sunderland fans are singing your name? Well, it made me stay because um, uh, things that we can talk nowadays, uh, when I signed the contract with, uh, with Sunderland, uh, we, we had a... The, the, the owner asked me to sign to the end of the season with an extra year, depending on what happened in the season, saying, if we go down, maybe get out. And I put a contact cross, kind of saying, if we stay up, I can live. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, uh, you know, knowing everything that happened during the season, it would be always a get away from Sunderland, sit down with your staff, analyze what you're going to do, how we're going to do it, if it's possible, or we're going to be in the same nightmare that we will be. And obviously that relationship, because everything is come back to the bottom line, you know. Um, after three days at Sunderland, I'm driving. Sorry, I'm not driving. My assistant is driving. A car pulled out to next in a traffic light. The guys put the window down, and he said to me, Hi, how are you? Welcome to Sunderland. You know, we need to stay up and you need to be in Newcastle. We did it. And, and I went, okay. And I put the window up and I went like, I look at Tano and I say, wow, we know what we need to do here. And then you do it, you've done it. So you're thinking, okay, that's it. But that end of the season, that togetherness, that convincement, that relationship with the fans, that pushed me really to stay. Uh, to stay longer and, and, and to commit, believing, okay, now they're going to listen to me. The summer of 2014. Now, there's a few few questions about the summer, I suppose we could probably probably uh, broach, but the first one I probably want to come to, obviously, I think Bardo left at that point. But funnily enough, even though we don't really care too much now because it didn't work out for him, Jack Orbach left at that point. And not yes. only did he just leave... Um, he was one of the, the first three. He went to Newcastle. Um, what, what were your thoughts on that? I, I think, I, think the, I learned a lot. And I think it's something that, the, unfortunately, the people at Sunderland uh, who stay over the years, they didn't. And I'm going to tell you why. And Jack Olba was at the end of his contract. Um, and the club waited to see how it would go. Uh, the season started so badly that most of the renovations they stay away from. You know, they they are second options. So uh, nothing happened or little happened because we were talking to his agent, but little was advancing. And then he started playing. And then we started getting better. And then he's a key part of midfield. And then you want to renew his contract. But now it's only seven months or six months. Another player got the power. Another player started, started keep waiting. Obviously, we didn't think he would go to Newcastle. For sure. I mean, it was not in my mind one second. Uh, but I learned that independently of the situation of the team in the present, 
the other side of the club needs to keep working the same way. And when a player is getting to the end of his year, last year, you need to start making decisions on what you think for the player, independently of how the team is doing. It's separate from you. And I learned it that year at Sunderland, that situation, that I will try as hard as possible not to happen again to me in other clubs. But I said that Sunderland didn't learn from it. Maya. Maya is at the end of his contract, uh, but because it's the, 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 the team is relegated to League One, the club stops thinking about the future, think about the present, goes and gets 10 new players to play in League One, and when the guy starts scoring for fun, they go and talk to him and say, we want to make a new contract. Another player goes, <laughs> they got no chance. So that is situations that what I like is so much Sunderland in I die. Because they're showing you fans and people things that we cannot say that now they are out in there. Yeah. Shaq Colbert, Maya, same situation. Because of what happened during his last season, the team or the club lose the player who could be very important for the future of the football club. Because there was, I think, Seb, Phil Bardsley and Jack, and there was only Seb that stayed. But then you, you move, that, that summer has got so many rumours surrounding it and so many different players and situations. So I think... I think the first one I will breach, and then we'll, we'll probably touch on Marcus and we'll probably touch on, on Fabio. But the, the first big rumour that I want to ask about, because there's so many rumours about this, but there was a big rumour that we had all but completed the signing of Virgil van Dijk. Yeah, how annoying is this? Join us next week for part two of the big Gus Poyet interview to find out just how close we came to signing the best defender in the world currently, Virgil van Dijk. You'll also hear how much Marcus Alonso was offered to us for, Lee Congerton of course, that Southampton game, that 1-0 win at St James's Park, and why Gus thinks his second season at Sunderland didn't really work out. You'll have all that and much, much more in next week's episode. As always, you can subscribe at YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Podbean to get it downloaded straight to your device. Thanks for listening to What The Fork Podcast.